You're listening to the Trekmate Family Network. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Delta Quadrant Podcast, part of the Trekmate Family. You're listening to the Delta Quadrant, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. This is a podcast where we review episodes of Star Trek Voyager in the order in which they were broadcast. Tonight's episode, Distant Origin. I'm Brian from Indiana. And I'm Brian from Indiana. I'm Lou, and I'm from Nebraska. And tonight we have a special guest, Colin, from the UK. How are you doing tonight, Colin? I'm doing good. It's uh, nice to be back on the Delta Quadrant again. Absolutely, yeah. When's the last time you were on with us? Oh, uh, God, it was before you moved to Trekmax, so it's been a while. Yes, that has been a while. So probably when Josh was here. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, Josh, when Josh was in, Sharding was here, yeah. So going back a long, long time. A whole season ago. Right. Yeah. Long, long time What was ago. the episode? Uh, I honestly can't remember because it was so long. <laughs> Must ago. have been a doozy. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we've done some uh, we've done so many Voyager episodes since then. It's hard to keep track of where Colin was. Yeah, you know, it's like here you pop up now and again. <laughs> Absolutely, that is the truth. So, Colin, now tell us about you. You do a podcast. Where can we find you? Remind our audience. Uh, yeah, it's Trek News and Views uh, podcast, which is on the Trek FM network. And you can also find it on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and it's on Trek Radio as well. So, And also, uh, Paul from Trekmates has put it on his um, Star Trek podcast website as well. And I think the feed is also located on the front page of the Lou Trek show. Yes, I really? Is it? Yeah. I haven't been to that website for a while, so I'm not sure. Uh, Lou's, Lou's good. Lou looks after me. Mm. Must be another Lou. Yeah, I'm sure there's more than one. No, I have not seen another Lou outside of my house. (laughs) (laughs) That might be a good thing. Yeah, I suppose so. All right, Trek News and Views on the Trek FM FM network. Our competition, in fact. Hmm. Well, I don't don't receive Star Trek podcasts as being in competition. I think we're all... um, some sort of fraternity spread across the airwaves. Absolutely. You mentioned the Lou Trek show. One thing he's mentioned many times is there's no such thing in, as competition in Star Trek podcasts. So I have to agree with him on that one. I just I like to think we complement each other. Absolutely. I disagree with him on a lot of things he said, but on this one, I have to agree. <laughs> so, all right. Distant origin synopsis. An alien scientist finds evidence linking his species' ancestry to Earth, but government officials refuse to accept his evidence because it conflicts with existing doctrine. This is a 23rd episode of Season 3 of Star Trek Voyager. It was first aired on April 30th, 1997. It was written by Brian Braga and Joe Minoski and directed by David Livingston. 
Our guest stars include Henry Warrenitz as Fora Gagan, Christopher Liam Moore as Tova Veer, Marshall Teague as Halleck, and special guest stars Conchita Tomei as Minister Odala. And it co-stars Nina Minton as Frola Gagan, and of course, Magel Barrett as a computer voice. Now, the Geos rating of this plays this episode at 16 of 171 episodes. Can any of you guess what number one was? Hmm. Scorpion. Scorpion? Scorpion, of course. And it's because it introduces 40 of Triple D. Excuse me, 7 of 9. I didn't notice. You didn't notice? No, no. Oh, we'll get. Yeah, well, later <laughs> when we get to some of uh, the Seven of Nine episodes, we'll be reviewing plenty of Seven Nine episodes from season four on, so you'll have plenty of chances to notice her. Oh, I'm, I'm sure one or two things will stand out. One or two things will stand out completely. Yeah, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. boom. <laughs> Right. All right. All right. Now, the show opens on what looks like a barren planet with an active volcano in the distance. The planet looks somewhat familiar, but we're not sure. In a cavern, an alien finds a gold uniform. The uniform is clearly Starfleet issue, and the rank insignia suggests it belongs to a Maquis crew member. And the only ship I know of that has a Maquis crew member is USS Voyager. Now, Another alien finds bone fragments. Here's the thing. I, I completely forgot where those bone fragments in uniform might have come from. Did any? Did you guys get it at first? Where? That, oh, sure. That, that's the remains of Lieutenant Hogan, the first one that got snu- uh, gobbled up by that snakeosaurus. Right. So you remembered instantly when you saw the bones? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that together and I'll... I watched that I'll... episode a lot during summer repeats. Yeah. Because it's only Hogan's uniform, though, he's not going to get an appearance fee. <laughs> That's true. The, yeah, the, the skeleton counts, constitutes a guest appearance by Hogan, doesn't it? That's true. That could count, yeah. You know, he could his agent could submit his DNA for payment. Mm. <laughs> and then residuals for the last few years? Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he's been lying in that cave decomposing, waiting for his next part. Every time those bones comes on, he gets a check. That's right. Okay. Sorry. Fair is fair. Fair is fair. Okay. Agreed. Well, after a few clicks, the two discuss why they've come to this cave. So our first clip gives a reason for their visit. I believe this was a non-Saurian. Non-Saurian? Doesn't that weaken our case? No. No, the genetic markers we share with this being are undeniable. We are related, however distantly. The question we must answer is... What was our endotherm doing in this part of space? Was he on an expedition? Did he have a ship? Crewmates? This material, it's composed of synthetic polymers, and the molecular structure suggests replication technology. And consider the garment itself. Is this marking purely decorative, or does it have a symbolic function? Could it indicate status? Possibly a military uniform. At the very least, we can assume he was part of a social infrastructure. And that would imply a ship. So, what do you think about this? Well, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very rare that our show opens with uh, no Voyager crew members. Uh, our guest act- actors pretty much dominate the entire Well, this episode. whole show was, was basically, for the most part, about the, uh, the guest, actually. 
Didn't I just say that? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That sounded the same to me. They, But you're right. I mean, they don't come on for quite a while. No. The, the interesting thing about the opening clip and all is when the alien that, that first finds about when he calls over the what we, what we later learn as the professor, he does the alien clicking noise to call him over. And when the professor comes over to him, straight away they're talking in English. Yes. It's like they have their own universal translators for the audience's benefit. Yeah. Well, yeah. they did find a communicator. I didn't see it on the uniform. It's still active. Yeah, it would still be active, so I guess. Still be active, yeah. Hog- Hogan's parting gift. Yeah, a long-lasting lithium battery. Yes, it was It was a, translated their language for the camera. It was perfect. One question, though. Why didn't that uh, land deal, I think it they called it a land deal. Why didn't it just chew up Hogan completely? What spit out the bones? Give him a bad case of indigestion. Yeah. By the time he had that blue shirt, he was pretty much full. <laughs> and died of indigestion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. He was he was crushed by some rocks by Tuvok and, and another. Yeah. It was coming after Tuvok and company. Right, and Chakotay, yeah. yeah. So- he might, he might be one of them predators that um, kills, stashes the prey to eat it later, but because two killed, never got a chance. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get you. Okay, after the opening credits, we find the two aliens, Professor Gagan and his assistant Tova Veer, putting together a humanoid jigsaw puzzle, and the final piece is part of a finger on the left hand. Obviously, these two are scientists who are trying to piece together who this unfortunate person might be. The two are very interested in the similarities of this person to their own species. They note the cranial capacity of the skeleton is 22% smaller than they are, and, to add insult to injury, he appears to be lacking a delitus lobe. A what? A delitus lobe? Anything on that one? What do you guys think a delitus lobe might be? Well, it sounds like a sex toy. Mm. <laughs> It'd be a nose. Well, without one, they can't enjoy the uh, the sulfur fumes on their planet. That's true. That's true. I delight. Well, why call it a lobe, though? I mean, a lobe, you normally think of an ear. Right. Kind of like a, so it's a Ferengi. It's a, prominent, a prominent nose, I guess. <laughs> Very prominent. Well, they did have a prominent facial features. Yeah. So, well, perhaps when they smell something, it brings them immense delight. Hence the delightous lobe. Yeah. Have you noticed how many alien species don't like the way humans smell there? Oh, I know. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that part of it later. Yeah. But, all right. One feature that is very different from the Voth is that this person was most likely warm-blooded. And although this might be a slight snag in the theory, our next clip explains why this expedition is so important. I believe this was a non-Saurian. Non-Saurian? Doesn't that weaken our case? No. No, the genetic markers we share with this being are undeniable. We are related, however distantly. The question we must answer is, what was our endotherm doing in this part of space? Was he on an expedition? Did he have a ship? Crewmates? This material, it's composed of synthetic polymers. And the molecular structure suggests replication technology. And consider the garment itself. Is this marking purely decorative, or does it have a symbolic function? Could it indicate status? Possibly a military uniform. 
At the very least, we can assume he was part of a social infrastructure. And that would imply a ship. Okay, so Gagan picks up the skull and begins to think out loud to himself, as if he was talking to the skull. Did your eyes see the planet of our origin, the true home of our race? Was it beautiful? Was it covered by oceans, by sand? Were there nine moons above your head? Were there none? After deciding the skull was at a loss for words, Gagan decides he must find the ship that this person comes from. They must take a trip to the city ship and meet directly with the Ministry of Elders and convince them to launch a fleet of ships. But how will they know what they're looking for? Our next clip shows Professor Gagan explain his request and the importance of it, and it also shows what happens when you tamper with the status quo. For millions of years, our people have believed that we were the first intelligent beings to evolve in this region of space. The first race. This assumption underlies everything that we hold dear. But that belief has been questioned in recent years, not only by the circles of science and philosophy, but by common people as well. Lying before you is proof of the distant origin theory. These remains demonstrate beyond doubt that we arose elsewhere in this galaxy, that we evolved on a faraway planet and traveled to this space millions of years ago. Our true history lost. A pile of bones. Impressive. This pile of bones belonged to a being who died approximately one year ago from a species found nowhere in known space. And yet, we share 47 genetic markers with this being. We are undoubtedly related to him. And I intend to prove to you that we evolved on the very same planet he did. And that planet is the long-lost world of the distant origin theory. Yes, that's exactly right. And to find that planet, our planet, we must find a living member of his kind. I've created a computer extrapolation. We're looking for a race of bipedal endotherms, space-faring but technologically limited. Based on their cranial capacity, I'd say they're no more advanced than most endotherms. Endotherms? You're proposing that we are related to a mammalian species? Yes. Which is why I ask your permission to launch an expedition. Let's talk about your discovery. I enjoyed the colorful tale of how you found these remains. It says here that you paid a substantial sum for their location. I was dealing with traders. They knew the location of the cave. I had no choice. Have you considered you were the victim of a hoax? I have analyzed every micron of this skeleton. I assure you it's authentic. Professor Gagan, have you considered the wider implications of your theory? What do you mean? By challenging doctrine. You're suggesting that everything we believe about ourselves, our history, our ancient and rightful claim over this region of space, the authority of this ministry itself, is a lie. That's not what I'm saying at all. However, in the light of my discovery, some of our beliefs may have to be reevaluated. Reevaluated. We will consider your request for an expedition. I think it's typical bureaucrats. Small-minded, don't want to deviate, don't want to upset the upper cards, maintain the status quo. Mm -hmm. Why well, stay in charge? 
Yeah. Right. Hang on to power. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, I guess we could compare them to the United States government. I mean. It's it's Brave New World in 1984 all over again. Mm-hmm. And we got to be careful because we could end up in Getmo if we keep talking like this. Yeah, we won't end up in Getmo. We're not uh, Ethan. We're not uh, uh, enemies of the state. Terrorist. Well, we'd be terrorists if we put that prison, which is not Middle East. I take it Getmo is Guantanamo. Yeah, Guantanamo, Getmo. Yeah, right. Just checking. How many of your citizens in the UK are in Getmo? None of them. They're all here. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of ours are sitting in there. As far as we know. There was, there was, there was four. Oh, four. There was four. Really? Yeah, but they, uh, we did a deal, and they're all under surveillance over here now instead. Ah. Okay, yeah. What do you guys call your police there? Besides the constables. But, I mean, there's... Bobbies. The Bobbies. But, no, there's something... It's like a secret police. Uh, MI5. The MI5. MI, MI5 is home security, what you would call homeland security. And MI6 is what you would class as the CIA. Oh, so you're Section 33. Or is it Section 31? Section 31. 31. Well, that's a different series. So, in other words, don't call us, we'll call you. Right? Yep, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, it's painfully obvious to Gagan that he's failed to anticipate the level of ignorance. It must be a uh, Clinton administration. <laughs> <laughs> it's Okay, so he thinks it's time to do this on their own. As Veer leaves to follow the professor's request, he passes Gagan's daughter, who tries to tell Gagan to stop this before he finds himself in some serious trouble. But a scientist must follow the truth, no matter what that truth leads him to. After all, he's doing this for all of Voth, as he puts it. The truth must be known. Eyes open. Did either of you happen to notice the look that Veer and Frola gave each other as they passed each other? Oh yeah, there's going to be some uh, more dinosaurs. In their future. They missed a trick in that bit anyway. When he's going, they should have said the truth fall out. Then they should have played the X-Files music. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so later, Veer returns with some bad news. Bum, ba-dum, bum. Yeah. She's pregnant. <laughs> Veer is a man, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but he's a lizard. You never know. That's true. He could be. Well, no, actually, he met with the leaders of the Circle of Exobiology, and they're concerned about rumors that the Minister of Elders has seized his research and is planning to detain Gagan for what it considers heresy against doctrine. Now, I thought I'd just give a little definition for those of you who don't know what heresy against doctrine means. Yeah. Heresy is defined as any belief or theory that is strongly at variance with established beliefs or customs, etc., one of our own history's most noted examples of the state trampling on somebody who believed other than what the Catholic Church believed is Galileo Galilei, who attempted to prove the church was wrong in its widely accepted belief that the earth is the center of the universe and all others revolve around it. Galileo supported what was called the Copernican theory. You all know Copernicus. 
uh, and Galileo tried to prove how the Earth actually revolved around the sun. Copernicus and Galileo were both convicted of heresy of doctrine. Professor Gagan is about to determine that the uniform has some microscopic identification markers and is able to determine that the poor soul came from a ship called the USS Voyager. <laughs> right. We zoom in on the identifier and it's numbered as 0429-52 and we could speculate the identifier of the person who the uniform was issued to. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Then they know what ship it's on based on an identifier in the uniform? Never. I'm a nerd, but I don't memorize that kind of detail. Uh, the, other, the other thing I know is if you get your suit from Replicator, they don't have washing machines. You know, they want a new uniform, they replicate it. So uh, why would it stamp uh, the identification code of your shipping? Right. You know, if he was on, if he was captured by the enemy, all they got to do is find this identification code on your clothing, and they know what ship you're off. Yeah. Here's another question. Let's assume that is true, and it is from USS. Oh, Sorry. Let's say it is true, and it I is. I don't know that ship. Which one's that one? The USS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's been newly. Re- Everyone that's been blown one. out of the it's sky. It's the same one as uh, USS Edith. Uh, it's been newly commissioned. It's a fine ship. You'll like it. <laughs> yeah, it's a real crapper. <laughs> it's it's uh, related to the lollipop. <laughs> oh, that explains everything. Then. Uh, there you go. It's a fine ship. It's just been commissioned. It's a piece of ship. It's a piece of ship, all right. So anyway, um, but here's another question. How long ago did Hogan die on that planet? When was that? A year, I think, wasn't it? Okay, so according to the script, it was a year. Okay, so it was about a year away, and the Voyager didn't get far enough to where the, the Voth weren't able to get them. Well, this is one badass Voth ship. Yeah, they have got transwarp. Mm-hmm. Oh, that must be it then. Okay. Yeah, because it does. It does actually side that uh, slow down. We don't want to overtake them. Yeah, like ludicrous speed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ludicrous speed. We passed him. We must stop. <laughs> but there's another problem with the, with the timeline as well. He's uh, Hogan's been dead a year. The human body wouldn't have gone to the point where it's just bones in a year. No, but remember, but this was in the belly of that snake of source. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and pooped it out pretty cleanly. Yeah. And, and laid it out nicely in a pile. Yes, nicely. And obviously, Starfleet combat cheese are uh, immune to digestive acids. And so are the rank insignia. Those are the rank insignia, yeah. Especially the Maquis <laughs> one. They're good. I don't know what they're made yeah. of. They're made of something that's undigestible. I guess yeah. the cloth stuck to his teeth and he just spit it out. Mm-hmm. He could have used it as a toothpick. Or a napkin. <laughs> yeah, the uniform was his napkin. Yeah. All right. And the marquee badge was his toothpick. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, so Gagan spends weeks looking for Voyager until some useful information comes our way. Our next clip, here's his log discuss the events that led up to the location of Voyager. Across the vastness of space to find one ship among a sea of stars is no simple matter. And for many weeks we found nothing. And then fortune glanced in our direction. 
a trader from a space station bordering the Necrit Expanse, informed us of a curious group of explorers claiming to be from the other side of the galaxy. The merchants there spoke of a vessel called Voyager. They were able to help us clarify certain details. With this new information, we began to acquire other items and new evidence. Our most significant find, a canister of warp plasma from Voyager's engines. So now we are scanning space for a matching signature. Little is known about these explorers, but they call themselves human, and they claim to be traveling home to a distant planet. My thoughts are with you, Frola, as are those of my colleague, Veer. Ah, I just sent a transmission to my daughter. Was that wise? I encrypted the carrier signal. There's no way to trace it. I hope you gave her my regards. Of course I did. I've seen the tint on your scales when she's around. I've let you into my academic circle, but now you wish to enter my family as well. No, Professor, I would never presume. You should know your place. Traditionally, my family made for the family of Tao. But traditions are meant to be broken. <laughs> it's the plasma signature. Scanners have found a match. A ship. 90 light years away, there are 148 life forms aboard, traveling at warp 6.2. I'm engaging spatial displacement. It's unlikely their primitive sensors will be able to detect us once we're out of phase. Okay, so, the warp plasma they speak of... Wait a tick. Mm -mm, hold on. Trek... Core.com explains a mistake in the writing of this episode, and I'm sure you've all heard about this. The aliens tracked down Voyager after studying a sample of her warp plasma at the same station that was featured in the episode Fair Trade. However, Voyager never lost any warp plasma. The sample Neelix gave in the sting operation was provided by the station security chief after Neelix couldn't bring himself to steal some from Voyager. So if the aliens use that sample as a reference, why wouldn't they have located this space station instead of Voyager? That's been a big bugaboo of mine ever since I first saw that in first run. I mean, since they never used Voyager's warp plasma, that where'd they get that canister from? Certainly not from Voyager. And that was that was used like a bomb. Because mm -hmm. Neelix vented the plasma, so... Any alien that fired their phaser would just set the whole place on fire. Right. So. And why did why, why did attack tac representative present that canister and, and not Constable Borath? Is the attack tac the new constable? Well, no. And the fact that the fact that Neelix vented it anyway means it would have been dispersed in space, so it wouldn't have been sitting in a nice little canister anyway. And the other problem they've got with this clip and all is the is the the tricorder. Because they go to great lengths to keep their technology out of other people's hands. So where did the tricorder come from? It was uh, probably in Hogan's uniform when he got gobbled up or in a sand or something. No, I think that they were stripped of all their... Uh... Right! They were. Oh, I just had an epiphany. The Kazon confiscated all their comm badges. I just now thought of that. Right. So that shouldn't be... Uh left behind as evidence for the Voth either. Unless, and no tricorders. I think they didn't... Wait a second. I, I'm thinking here. I think 
it was given to them by the people on the space station, maybe. Probably. Maybe they had one. Maybe, maybe yeah. it was confiscated from Tom and Chakotay when they were arrested in place for Neelix and Wixabon. Yeah, well, the Kaizen could have actually took some stuff because they was on Voyager quite a lot. Yeah, they were too much. Yeah, so they probably could have got the tricorder, but like, but like Brian says, Hogan's combat wouldn't have been there. Yeah. Double oops on Broncos. Double oops. So the warp plasma Ooh. shouldn't exist and the combat shouldn't exist. Right, and that's something we've discussed in previous episodes of the Voyager show. So, yeah, we've talked about it in the past. It, it shouldn't have been that way. But it's a Star Trek, and we just accept it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're used to accepting things that don't make sense. Right. Because if we didn't let something like that slip by the wayside, we'd be damning the whole concept of traveling through space at warp speeds as ridiculous. So, for the sake of sci-fi fiction, we just look past it. Yeah, which like Jane White says, we're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Weird is part of the job. That's right. Matter of fact, you hear that every day at the beginning of our show. PDH and Janeway discussing weird comes with the uniform. Okay, so earlier somebody mentioned that we've gone all this time and we haven't heard one Akuchimoya. Not one jab about coffee, so we're 14 minutes into this, and not one flirtatious comment from Tom Paris. Not one reference to the meal of the day from Neelix. Ah, but don't worry, this is all going to change. We find the crew of Voyager going through their normal day. Everything looks interesting to the aliens, well, except for maybe the smell. Mm -hmm. They come across Paris and Torres, who are obviously flirting with each other. Um, You know... Mm-hmm. Pew. Yeah, I like I like how they uh, how they were talking about the crew the crew uh, way of communicating. Yes, Gagan calls it crude verbal interplay. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which is practically every episode of Voyager. Pretty much, you know, some kind of uh, <laughs> mate, mating ritual will tell us something we don't know. Yeah, but it, it does refer to the fact that I can. Like squids can do with their skin, mm-hmm. where they can change the color of the skin and send signals from the skin. Right. So, on the bridge, the aliens observe Janeway and Chakotay, also flirting with each other, discuss whether they should go through an area heavy of tetrions or go around it. Well, we should know better. Let's just enhance the shields and go through the area. That's what Janeway would do. So, what are some of the observations that the aliens see? The people work in a hierarchical command structure with clear differences in status and rank, and the male sub- seem to be subordinate to the female, perhaps a matriarchy. So remember, the aliens are so advanced they could trick Voyager sensors, or at least they would have if... Leave it to Anza Camp to find out there's somebody on the bridge when they're not supposed to be there. Our next clip shows how unhappy Janeway is with the unexpected visitors. This is strange. I'm picking up spatial fluctuations. They're coming from the bridge. Source. I'm not sure, but they're highly localized with modulating phase variants. Looks like some kind of cloaking technology. All stop. Intruder alert. We've exceeded our welcome. Let's get back to the ship. What's wrong? 
some sort of force field. I've erected a level 10 containment field around the bridge, Captain. Scanning on all subspace frequencies. I'm picking up two life forms. Localize them. Mission Ops 1. Professor, their force field is disrupting our interface. I'm compensating. I can at least get us off this deck. Show yourself. Captain, the life forms left the bridge. They're now on deck 2, section 13, mess hall. Seal off the deck. Deck 2 seal. Security team to the mess hall. Intruders? I don't see any intruders. It would appear we've underestimated our endotherms. Maybe we should make contact, explain ourselves. It may come to that. Captain, I've analyzed those spatial phase variants. Bridge to Chakotay. Go ahead. Adjust hand phases to a dispersion frequency of 1.85 gigahertz. That should disrupt their cloaking technology. Acknowledged. I've matched the frequency of their shields. I think we can get off this... Spatial fluctuations. There. Nilus, get down! About that point about the, the matriarchal society, uh, the observation they make, oh, it's, it's clearly a hierarchy and it's a matriarch and blah, blah, blah. Mm. It's very convenient how they forget that the leader of their society is a woman. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the prime minister, I guess you could say, she it is a woman. And they have a hierarchical society as well, but they conveniently forget that as well. Yep. Mm -hmm. Triple loops. Triple loops. Yes, yeah. the man. And and I also like the fact that Tom's idea of flirting with Bellana is let's go play with the Batleaf. Yeah, they don't go to the bounce and go wow. They just want to play martial arts. Yeah. Well, remember he's trying to court a Klingon and if half Klingon, half Klingon, but still Klingon and a Klingon half she, she tries to avoid. Right. And I don't. Yeah. And I don't think any of us are real experts on Klingons. But what I think is is that. <laughs> Obviously. Stop laughing. <laughs> Just wait for Brian to jump <laughs> Obviously, he's just trying to, you know, corner her in the best way he thinks Klingons want it. Yeah, yeah. What what would be really helpful is if we had a Klingon expert around, but alas, we haven't. We don't, no. I mean, no, nobody knows much about Klingons. Yes. I found that BYOB <laughs> joke offensive. Really? Like, Take, taking a 20th century, 21st century expression like bring your own beer and changing it to bat lift. I know. Lame. Oh, Lame. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, if we could figure find a Klingon someday, he could, they could explain it to us, but it, yeah, forget it. It's <laughs> Obviously, Bolana had to have that explained to her. Say what? What? Wait a second. What'd you say? I hear you. I think Bolana knew exactly what she was getting into, because she keeps dodging. Yeah. Oh, she keeps yeah. playing around with them. Yep, even the it's part, it's part of the game, being chased. It's part of the game. Right, even for a Klingon. Yeah, it's all part it, of the it, game. It, 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 it's like the cat playing with the mouse before he killed it. <laughs> That's what Bolana was doing, playing with the mouse, and then when she's ready to kill it, he'll be done. 
the anodyne relay. Who would have guessed? Yeah. <laughs> you got to mention. You got to mention how Hadi Kim is actually on the ball this time. Yes. Does anybody have anything more about Tom and Bellana? Yeah, I when did, they get married. <laughs> oh yeah, now I remember. <laughs> Bellana said it best. You're not an engineer, but it seems like this is the first of two attempts to make Tom an engineer because when they go through that year of hell, who of all people comes up with the idea of transverse bulkheads to keep them from depressurizing and become the whole ship falling apart. He said he got that cue from the Titanic. Mm. Yeah. We, and look how well that worked out for the Titanic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She, she seems like he's always having engineers, engineering spats with Bolana. I mean, he came up with that uh, a carburetor analogy in vis-a-vis. Yep. But those are future episodes we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, we will eventually. Delta Quadrant's not going anywhere. We've been around for over a year, almost two years. So we'll be we'll be back next week. And We're wrapping up our third season, Lou. That is true. That is true. It's hard to imagine we've been here three seasons. Did anybody think we'd make it this far? No, I don't think anyone would believe we'd last one season, to be honest with you. That's true. Or 13 episodes. That's true, yeah. We, we were a mid-season replacement. <laughs> yeah. And now we find ourselves on truck, mate. So we're coming up in the world. So, anything more, guys? We've only got another four years to go. Yeah, that's true. Oh, <laughs> we still haven't decided what we're going to do after, you know, season seven. What are we going to do? We can always make up our own season eight. And yeah, after Endgame, that's what we should do. So the the uh, Voyager could do Voyager the movie. Voyager the movie. <laughs> how about how about you go go take it beyond that? Go start grabbing the book. Start doing them. The Voyager books. Yep. No thanks. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh God, no! There's, there's so many of them. You don't know which tangent you go down. Yeah. No, I I don't. I don't like to read the books. Nobody likes to read but me. There you go. You read them, and then you you do the show by yourself. <laughs> call it, you know. There's Mash, and then there's After Mash. We'll call it After Delta Quadrant. Okay. Yeah, he knows how long that that lasted too. Right. On TV. After, after Endgame. And I'm sure you'll last <laughs> even less. <laughs> That's right. If you're listening to this show, you must like Star Trek. And if you like Star Trek, then we bet you still live in your mother's basement. And if you live in your mommy's basement, then you are what clinicians call a loser. Recent studies from the California Institute of Technology, also known as Caltech, Go Beavers, show that Trekkies are five times more likely to find meaningful relationships baffling and repulsive. Lead scientist Dr. Sheldon Cooper began a three-year study on the emotional and psychological effects of cheap sci-fi, such as what you'd find in Star Trek, and discovered that most sci-fi lovers are, in his words, bat crap crazy. So be careful, or you too might wind up alone in the corner of your basement with nothing but a box of Kleenex to give you the emotional support you desperately need. Okay, so the aliens are chased to the mess hall where Neelix is serving his whatever dish of the day when security barges in hot on the trail of the distortion that Kim detected. 
You've got to put hats off to Kim there, though. Because he was, I actually picked him up on his console and isolated him and everything. So, yeah, since he was, he was not, he was not PDHing this one. Yeah, all the uh, main cast were, were pretty much putting in cameos, and so this is PDH's crowning moment of awesome. Right. Yeah, he actually gets to say, "Look, I know what I'm doing." Really, we have to bring back that fellow meter that we used to be on our website because we've got to have a new entry called. PDH saves the day. <laughs> That's going to get a few entries on that one then. On the winnow meter. The winnow meter. Yes. The winnow meter. Yeah. Get the fellow meter and the winnow meter. This is definitely a plus point. How about uh, PDH has a Wesley Crusher day? A WC. <laughs> yes, WC yeah. day. Our Wes- Wesley Crusher. You can just imagine. You can just imagine Jaime turning around to me saying, "Well done, Harry," but you're still an ensign. You're still an ensign. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You still messed up in favorite son. Right. And the disease. <laughs> and the pilot. And the next episode. And, and the next And episode. the next. <laughs> we got it. We got it. Okay. So they did. Yeah, I'd love to see a Voyager movie just to see if we see that up both Terry Kiss or not. <laughs> All admirals and Commodores and one ensign Kim. <laughs> Even Naomi Wildman's telling him what to do. Yeah, Naomi's a lieutenant. <laughs> lieutenant commander. Now, they determine the frequency the phaser must be set to turn off these cloaking devices they're wearing. After the first phaser burst, in which I do want to talk about those cloaking devices. After the first phaser burst, Veer panics and shoots Chakotay with the tranquilizer dart, and Chakotay drops. Tuvok fires on Veer, stunning him. Professor Gagan realizes he has a chance to use one of these creatures to help prove his theory, so he borrows Chakotay for a short trip. Veer is then taken prisoner by Voyager security. He is taken to sickbay, where the doctor treats his injuries. Captain Janeway comes in and begins to question the prisoner, who responds by going into a protective hibernation. So before we go back to Gaganship, what do you guys think of the... uh, personal cloaking device i thought it was a radical idea to sit there and do a dimensional shift the cloak, uh, phase, the cloak phase shift. what's well, a phase shift dimensional shift was on a tng episode but here's the thing why didn't they ever use that again and tom even used it yes that's that's bugged me just as long as that warp canister has well what you got to think of is when the aliens I know we're jumping ahead, but when the alien sees the ship and disabled all its electronics, what's to say they never took it back? That could have. Along with a few other things. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Well, back on Gagan's ship, Chakotay wakes up, most likely notices how fresh and inviting the ship smells compared to Voyager. Ha ha, ha ha. Okay, bad joke. <laughs> Gagan tries to calm Chakotay down by telling him there is a confinement being around the table, so just relax and go with the program. Gagan explains his research and how the two come from the same genetic background. He wants to convince Chakotay to help him, but Chakotay tells him to drop the force field so we can make first contact in a more civilized way. And smoke him peace pipe. <laughs> oh, smoke him peace pipe. <laughs> Akuchimoya. Obviously, Chakotay doesn't seem very threatening, so Gagan drops the force field. And after proper introductions, Chakotay says, let's talk about Earth. 
Yeah, he never even introduced him to his spirit guide. No. Well, it's, this is the story of Chakotay's life. He doesn't appear very threatening. No, he doesn't, does he? No, even though he's a marquee leader. <laughs> the marquee leader. Well, he, you know, him and his band of outlaws were the only ones to survive in the marquee. So, all right. Yeah, and he, he seems to reason with him by saying, "I'm a scientist as well." Yeah. Is there like a secret handshake? You know? <laughs> right. I'm a peaceful man. All we ever see of Chakotay is him spouting off Indian lore. Yeah, but it's like, it's not, I'm a scientist. You can always, and if, and if he would have learned the Indian lore like he should have, he would have... Oh, that's a different... That's a different... We'll have to talk about that later. Maybe he, maybe he was... That was a season man. two. That was a season two show. One that we've already done for Voyager? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Remember, it was season two, episode two or three, I think it was, where he, where they run across, uh, he's going back to the past as a kid. Tattoo. And his dad takes him to the, t- yeah. Mm-hmm. The plane, boss, the plane. Amazing. See, you bring up Tattoo, and then if you guys remember, that's the one we also had Lou from the Lou Trek show on. Oh, yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. It was quite fun to talk to him. I, we've got to bring him back. So anyway, actually, I think I might try to go on his show one time. Really? Oh, we've yeah. I've, I've been on the Lou Trek show, Colin, haven't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said at the start, Lou's, Lou's been uh, very good to me and plugged my podcast and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and Lou was um, actually with me a few weeks ago. We talked to Larry Nemechek. Larry Nemechek. It sounds yeah. familiar. I don't think I've ever talked to him, but hmm, that sounds. He's good. a good guy. Yeah, Star Trek Concordance. He wrote that. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, anyway, back on Voyager, the Doctor summons the Captain to sickbay for some interesting news. We already knew this, but in the next clip, the Doctor intrigues Captain Janeway with this interesting information. Your call sounded urgent. With good reason. I've analyzed the aliens' DNA. There are 47 genetic markers identical to those found in human DNA. That's more than coincidence. I thought so, too. I ran a search for those markers in Earth's paleontological database. Take a look at this. Incredible. That's one way of putting it. It says here that those markers appeared in hundreds of Earth species, dating back tens of millions of... Their species evolved on Earth? Apparently so. And from the look of it, you and he are distant cousins. I wonder how distant. Transfer yourself to Holodeck, too. I think it's time we took a stroll through primeval history. And uh, who here is going to make reference to the 47 <laughs> genetic markers? Well, not only was it forced on us once, but twice. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm surprised the doctor didn't come up with 48. I mean, maybe the aliens see the 47, but their technology might be either less advanced or more advanced. Hey, it wouldn't be a Brandon Braga episode without a 47. <laughs> right. Yeah, you gotta you got to keep the cast of Star Trek constants going. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the captain and the doctor visit the holodeck to go on a little fossil hunt. Janeway asks the computer to search Earth's fossil records and look for any ancestors with the same genetic match of humans in the alien in sickbay. 
The first up is genus Ariops, who lived over 400 million years ago and is thought to be the last common ancestor of cold-blooded and warm-blooded organisms. The next and most highly evolved cold-blooded organism to develop from the Ariops is genus Hydrosaur, who vanished when a mass extinction occurred at the end of the Crustaceous period. But what if they didn't all die off and eventually evolved into a more complex life form? Alright, now let's just assume this is true. Wouldn't there be some evidence of a species developing the ability to travel through space? Are humans not the first creatures to leave this planet? Yeah, but Jakote tackles this, Donny, by saying that uh, it could be under thousands of tons of rock or at the bottom of the sea or... You know, I mean, there's a distinct possibility that these are actually the Atlanteans. Yes, he, uh, he said Earth was devastated by a number of cataclysms, asteroids, volcanoes, earthquakes, politicians. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that, now that all sounds like heresy against our own doctrine, doesn't it? After running a genome projection algorithm to see what the Hydrosaurus would have evolved to look like over the last 65 million years... The results, the doctor diagnoses the creature napping in sickbay to be dun, 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 a dinosaur. From the ABC series of the same name. Yeah, never seen that coming. You know what's so funny? You know what's so funny about it? Is that I can remember as a kid playing with that that type of dinosaur. <laughs> like, you, you mean the sleigh stacks from the land of the lost? Yeah, we used to have a little plastic models of those uh, of that type of dinosaur with the T-Rexes and Triceratops and all that other, and all those other type of dinosaurs. I remember a little kid that. playing with that one. I always loved it. I always loved that big old wedge thing on the back of it. <laughs> right. Hmm. Okay. But Janeway wants to know why no one has ever seen this in the natural history museums. Okay, so let's say you guys are right and it's all buried under kilotons of earth. Now that uh, they're in the 24th century and they have sensors that can, you know, penetrate the crust, can they find evidence then? Yes, that's Jane, that they was might. Janeway's first email to Admiral Ross. or at, No, not, not Ross. Who was that other guy? Hayes. Before he got blown up by the Borg. You remember that, Admiral? Kind of a windbag? No. Last, last we saw of him was in Voyager's Hope and Fear. Oh, Admiral Hayes. Poor guy. Alas. Gagan then observes that the true origins of their history has been replaced with doctrine and myth that they were the very first race. Now Chakotay could see why this is so important to Gagan. Chakotay suggests that they get back to Voyager, but Gagan can't let him go just yet. He needs Chakotay. So, is he still a prisoner? More like a... Yeah. A guest. A guest. Yeah, kind of done the secret scientific handshake. It's all cool. Right. Yeah, well, anyway, Voyager has their own problems. They don't want to go back there just yet, because back on Voyager, the first sign of a repressive government shows its ugly head when Voyager finds itself transported aboard the city ship. Voyager looks just like a little tiny trinket compared to the city ship. Voyager is boarded by the Ministry of Elders who are threatening to kill everybody on board if Gagan doesn't return. So, Chakotay offers to go with Gagan to prove his case. Even though all systems on Voyager were powered down during the attack, 
Paris is still able to arm a spread of photon torpedoes and is about to blast a hole in the side of the city ship, as Janeway puts it. But the Saurian aren't very concerned. Paris's work was for naught, as nothing happens. Did anyone expect that they were going to actually be able to sh- fire off a successful torpedo? Not when Janeway told him to hold on to something, so he held on to himself. Right, he did. Yeah, he gave her that arms folded look. Yeah. The, the other thing I know the problem with his plan was this is a society that took over Voyager, beamed the entire ship inside their ship, disabled all their weapons, shut down all their computers and everything else, and he thinks he's going to get it out to fire a photon. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I call one almighty ship. Yeah. You know, caught about seriously underestimating your enemy. So, Gagan returns to the city ship, where the same woman he faced before about retracting his complaints claims about the distant origin theory. So, Gagan returns to the city ship, where the same woman he faced before about retracting his claims about the distant origin theory is at it again. The minister brings out Gagan's assistant, who looks very much in fear, and gets him to admit that the data they used was flawed. She then praises him for being honest and allows him to go. So in our next clip, the minister then again tries to force Gagan to profess his interpretations were wrong and how she is willing to destroy anyone who gets in her way. Even a passionate plea from Chakotay fails to break through her ignorance. Professor Gagan, I will ask you again. Could you be mistaken? What did you say to him? That you'd take away his honors if he didn't cooperate? That you'd send him to a detention colony? Could you be mistaken? Did you threaten his family? Respond to the question! No! Why should I? You've already made up your mind. This inquiry isn't about evidence and proof. It's about keeping you in that chair. Gagan! It's about maintaining a myth that keeps the ministry in power. You'd do anything to silence me. Well, it won't work. I'll never retract my claims. I'd rather go to prison than help you perpetuate ignorance. Your true scales are finally showing. You're right, Minister. I was mistaken. I thought you might actually care about the truth. Even if it called into question some of our deepest beliefs We are not immigrants! I will not deny 20 million years of history and doctrine just because one insignificant Saurian has a theory. One last time, could you be mistaken? It's you who are mistaken, Minister. What? You accuse Gagan of having his objectivity clouded by wishful thinking. But aren't you guilty of the same charge? I am not on trial here. I understand. But in a way, your beliefs are. How you think about yourselves, your place in the universe. That is on trial. And this isn't the first time. What do you mean? I've had the opportunity over the last few days to learn something about your culture. Your great accomplishments. Consider the breakthrough into transwarp. An incredible achievement. And yet... Your ancient doctrine predicted terrible disasters if it were even attempted. That held your race back for millennia until someone took a chance and challenged that prediction. They succeeded and your society entered a new chapter of exploration and your doctrine was changed accordingly. 
I know from the history of my own planet that change is difficult. New ideas are often greeted with skepticism, even fear. But sometimes those ideas are accepted, and when they are, progress is made. Eyes are opened. When I open my eyes to this theory, what I see appalls me. I see my race fleeing your wretched planet. A group of pathetic refugees crawling and scratching their way across the galaxy, stumbling into this domain. I see a race with no birthright, no legacy. That is unacceptable. I see something very different, Minister. An ancient race of Saurians, probably the first intelligent life on Earth, surrounded by some of the most terrifying creatures that ever lived. And yet they thrived, developed language and culture and technology. And when the planet was threatened with disaster, they boldly launched themselves into space, crossed what must have seemed like unimaginable distances, facing the unknown every day. But somehow, they stayed together, kept going with the same courage that had served them before until they reached this quadrant where they laid the foundation of what was to become the great Voth culture. Deny that past, and you deny the struggle and achievements of your ancestors. Deny your origins on Earth, and you deny your true heritage. Do you retract your claims? No. I stand by them. Very well. It is my judgment you will suffer the consequences of your obstinacy. Gagan, you are guilty of heresy against doctrine and will be placed on a detention colony. For as long as you breathe, you will neither teach nor engage in research. Your life as a scientist has ended. As you wish. Chakotay of the Voyager Starship, you, your captain and her crew, will join Professor Gagan. Why? You have nothing to gain by imprisoning them. Let them go. You will spend the remainder of your lives on a detention colony. Your ship will be destroyed. Minister. You will surrender your vessel immediately and inform your crew that this judgment Stop will be... Stop this, please! Are you offering me an alternative? I have reconsidered and I retract my claims regarding the distant origin theory. My analysis of the data was obviously flawed. I was mistaken. You are prepared to refute your work publicly before the circles of science? Yes. You will then be assigned to another area of research. 
Surely paleontology has become tiresome to you after so many years. Perhaps metallurgical analysis would be a more rewarding vocation for you. Perhaps. Okay, so obviously, this minister is willing and ready to destroy Voyager and imprison the entire crew for what reason? Right. Now, I mean, you know, Gagan pretty much was professing that the truth must be known no matter what, so I'm I'm shocked that he'd let 148 crew members of a ship he doesn't even know. Uh, You know, their freedom is more important than his research. But then again, he could have said, you know, I retract it, let Voyager get away, and then say, well, I'm just just kidding, I don't retract it. Yeah. Oh well. That won't last long. No. She'll just she'll just transwarp to him and capture him and kill him this time around. Well, yeah. Well, I, I thought she showed remarkable restraint. Let letting Gagan choose Voyager's fate and his own, rather than uh, the, her stormtroopers just uh, executing them on the spot. Right. But every time she tried to pass out punishment, she amped it up when he was not falling for it. I'm surprised she didn't say your you, your daughter, your wife, you know, your pet. What I wonder what their pets would look like. Uh, <laughs> Probably uh, pink-skinned uh, uh, p- piggies. Cold-blooded pink-skinned piggies. <laughs> they, they warm, bl- warm, warm-blooded mammals. I don't think so, because just just like Halek said, you're proposing. We're related to a mammalian species, so I don't think they're very hip to mammals, really. Except well, maybe Galen said they don't trust mammals. Right. So, after hearing he would spend the rest of his life on a detention colony, where he will be for as long as he breathes, he would not be allowed to teach or engage in research. He only says, as you wish. Now, since that punishment didn't get the desired results of a broken man, the minister decided to punish the crew of Voyager, making all crew, including the captain and even Naomi Wildman, I guess, imprisoned. Then Naomi, the opportunist, would try to be uh, the prime minister's assistant. Yes, yes. She'll suck up to the boss, just like a good Ferengi would. (laughs) The ship will be destroyed. I wasn't thinking Ferengi, but we'll use that one. I don't know. The thing is with this, this, this bit about the sister ship, though, is they claim to have been in this sector of space for millions of years. Mm-hmm. Why did they never settle on a planet? Maybe they do. Maybe they, they are explorers of a, of a sort. Seems like every world they live on probably gets wiped out. Well, they're so they were. <laughs> they said, screw planets, let's just live in space. Yeah. That's an interesting they keep getting hit by meteorites. It's like the government that's always roaming around, is that it? To, you know, taking taxes? And... The big brother of space. Mm-hmm. Mm. The ultimate liquidator. That's true. Well, the city, the city ship could be like just going around all the planets that they have colonized mm-hmm. in there because they actually say uh, their space. Right, their space. Yeah. So anyway, the ship will be destroyed, but Gagan erupts and begs this time to stop. Gagan decides to capitulate to the ministry and retracts the distant origin theory. Now, since he retracted the claim, the minister assigns him to another area of research, metallurgical analysis, or some kind of chemical testing, I guess. 
And she also shows mercy on Voyager and decides to let them go because they were brought in this on no fault of their own. Uh, but gives him this one piece of advice. I am not unreasonable. You were drawn into this situation through no fault of your own. You are to be returned to your ship where you will set course away from our territory. It would be in your best interest if I never saw you again. So, Chakotay gives Gagan a gift, a small metal ball, representation of Earth. Gagan says that someday, every Voth will see this as home. And Chakotay backs it up with, someday, eyes open. <laughs> yep, it may take millions of years, even longer than the Metrons promised Kirk that uh, they would have official first contact. Right. Alright, and so now it's time to give our rating... And our impression of this episode. So, Dedimore, do you want to give yours first? Yeah, sure. I actually like this episode. It was a good, well-rounded, thought-out, one of the few that was actually done decently. Um, I I found it to be a very enlightening um, episode. And it, it shows again that Humans aren't the only stupid species out there. <laughs> we, their politics, politics follows you everywhere, and even in, even out there, even with a different species who's definitely more intelligent than we are, all the same things that make us who we are makes them the same way. Sorry, guys, there's no perfect society out there. Oh no, no, nowhere is perfect. You know. Okay, so on a scale of one to five, what would you give this one? Four. Strong four. Okay, a four for Dedimore. What about Baker? I like this episode, too, despite being written by Brennan Braga and Joe Minuski. Both of them are notorious for putting out some major turkeys. <laughs> but uh, So they must have stole this off of an internet-submitted sub- script. <laughs> I'd have to give this a 4.51694. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you say that again, please? <laughs> I will not. <laughs> gotcha. All right. 4.6. <laughs> Rounded up. I thought it was uh, like a 4.1.964 or something like that. Well, you know, we can get fractions of the stars or decimal points of the stars. We've been doing that for quite some time now. Right. I'm surprised you didn't give it a 4.7 to keep the 47s going. Oh! oh you want to revise that then? Yeah, I get, I'd get. i have to give this a, um, a 4.7. Okay. 4. Not, it's not quite perfect because uh, Tom had to had to be a turkey to, towards Bellana and those continuity errors. Right. All right, Colin, how about you? Um, I liked it. I liked the way that it was like you could interpret the Atlantean myth into this. You could easily put that into it. Um, it was an interesting concept. Obviously, you know, it's flawed in certain areas, but you have to suspend that in order to enjoy the story. Um, it was also interesting to see that, like McCoy said, the bureaucratic mind is the one constant in the universe. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and this clearly demonstrates that. Um, the only problem I've got with it is that's supposed to have been in this area of space for millions of years. 
why didn't the Borg inter- interact with them? Hmm. Good point. I wonder if they're stronger than the Borg. Yeah. Oh, I doubt it. The city ship shows that they are smart. Mm, mm. I doubt it. The species I four seven two was stronger than the Borg, and that didn't stop them. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to Voyager. Yeah, thanks to Voyager. Well, Voyager can solve everything. Absolutely. But if, so, you know, we'll get to that one <laughs> later on down the road, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You and Federation can do anything. To. Yes, it can. Yeah. Well, Voyager can do everything. Yeah, Voyager can so, do everything. But when, when Voyager actually gets back to the, the Alpha Quadrant, they'll have so much leaps and bounds in technology that Starfleet will have to hang up its hat for a bit. Well, it's like I always say, Voyager is is better than perfect. I mean, the ship can give itself a bloody fever. Yes, and it's the only ship. Mind you, it is the only ship in Federation history to ever get attacked by a lump of cheese. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, Colin, what's your rating going to be? I'll give it a four. Give it a four. All right. We're in the fours range. Well, as I read from memory, Alpha, uh, Brennan Braga, and Joe Manoski took this premise to Jerry Taylor's office, where it just so happens Rick Berman came in. And it was Rick who actually came up with the idea of Galileo. And so obviously that was Eureka. And this is what happens when you go against your government. And and there are a lot of pig-headed people in our world that this is their belief and everyone else is right as long as they believe what you believe. And if you don't believe that way, then everyone else is wrong. And this is kind of what shows up. And they're willing to imprison, or even worse, their own people if they happen to disagree with what their own doctrine says. And obviously they're taking this from our own world history. It's where it comes from. And I'm glad we're not that blind anymore. Now, <laughs> just... Oh, I wouldn't say that. No, what reality are you living in, Lou, man? Because I would join your reality. What I mean is is that people don't get in prison for having beliefs other than what the government says. They're allowed well, to have these opinions themselves now. Depending on what country you're in. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. Say, what country are you living in, Lou? That's true. Because... That's true. <laughs> then it's a good thing to be in the old U.S. of A., Right. Yeah, they'll just, they'll just kill you instead of just trying to hide it, throw you in jail. They'll just bring in a special government assassination squad and kill you and be done. Right. But. So I guess another question comes of um, how would Queen Liz deal with the this? Well, freedom of information is um, enshrined in our society, so you can actually make a request under the Freedom of Information Act. So this wouldn't stay bottled up over here. No, but I don't think she would imprison somebody because they they believe something different. Oh, God, no. No, I mean, an example of this would be, like, how many different religions there is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, each country has an abundance of different religions inside it, and everyone manages to go about their day-to-day business, but all these people believe different things. Right. So in the end, you know, this is a very good episode, and I'll probably I'd give it a four point five. Not perfect. Um, the bones, the plasma, it all makes me go, huh? 
and, and bonus points for using the Voyager crew to a minimum. Right, yes. Yeah, you didn't get PDH in there too much. Poor Neelix, poor Cass. They only got one line. I hope they got full pay for having to put on their makeup, especially Neelix. Well, hopefully, you know, when Neelix was our... He's in the same uniform every week, right? The same uniform, well, the same look. Maybe in the previous episode they said, Oh, hey, uh, you may want to record this part here. Just yes. record this line and we'll hold it for next week. Will I still get paid for it? <laughs> oh, sure. Of course you will. Your check is in the mail. Yes, absolutely. I don't see any intruders. Intruders? Where? I don't see any truth. Too bad they didn't get accidentally hit, huh? <laughs> Singed Kess's hair. <laughs> All right, and now for some off-topic discussion. Anybody got anything that's happening lately with them? Well, sad news in, in Trek news today. Uh, Malachi Thorne, who had played uh, the Commodore Mendez from the original series, passed away today as we're recording, at the age of 84. He also came back as um, Spock's Romulan ally. I forget his name. He, he was in Unification, parts one and two. He was an accomplished actor, had, had decades of history. He was false face on the original Batman TV series, and he, and he played a, a, a judge, the voice of Two-Face, third personality called The Judge, in a Batman animated episode and tons of other cartoon voiceovers. Yeah. So, uh, well, Godspeed to you, Mr. Thorne. Yes, I do see that. And he was also one of the aliens on the, the menagerie or the cage. One of the aliens. Did he put on the gorilla suit? No, he was one of the big, thick headed aliens. That was, uh, that had, uh, I'd swear that was only Com Commodore Mendez. Oh, no. Yeah, he was a voice of the Keeper. Oh, yeah, a voiceover. Okay, oh, so it wasn't him. It was actually just a voiceover. Yes. Okay. Got it. Because all those Telosians were played by females. Oh, were they? they? They just had their breasts ace bandaged up, so they looked thin and frail. Oh, I hate when that happens to me. <laughs> Have your breasts bind up a lot? Yes. So he was a, a Pardek. Yes, thank you. Okay, that's it. Now, okay. Pardek, huh? And Spock figures him out. But Spock, we've been friends for 80 years. Yes, and that's why you betrayed us. Well, Colin, how about you? Um, I've just been doing an awful lot of work, to be honest, and setting things up. Um, we we have got an interview coming up on Trek News and Views with the two Chancellors. Ah, J.G. Hertzler and Bob O'Reilly. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, we managed to get... Um, that was at a Comic-Con. Um, not a Comic-Con, that was at a con in Australia. And a very good friend of mine interviewed them. Uh, on behalf of of my podcast, uh, that'll be that'll be coming up in a few weeks, if not this weekend. Wow, I'm getting envious of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's nice having these people all around the world who say, "Oh, I've got this," and they just you know, it's nice me doing an episode. 
<laughs> right. Boy. All right. Well, Good. Lou from the Lou Trek Show has Cecil Davis. What do we have? Oh, no. I, he's had uh, Tim Russ on. True. Yeah. Yeah, and Manu. Manu, yeah. And some of the Borg children, yeah. Oh, wait. Didn't they have uh, Naomi Wildman, too? He did, indeed. Scarlet, I believe her name like, is. Scarlet Palmers? Yes. Cutie. The Katarian chick? Yes, half Katarian. Yes. She was born with three horns and eventually added a fourth one when her head grew. <laughs> Wonder yeah. how many she's up to now. That's a good question. What's up to her mum? Okay. Because her mum just, just disappears from the show. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was guilty of heresy against doctrine. Yeah, that's a good point. How come her mom wasn't around a lot? I mean, you see Naomi wandering the halls in 10 forward, but you never see any parental supervision. I think there's been a misunderstanding. They, they thought they had killed her off. They, she had a near-death experience in one of those Voyager episodes, but she came through in the end, but that was seemed to have been her swan song episode. Right. Hmm. And then Neelix raised her. Well, maybe Neelix is actually, you know, the father. I mean, there's no way that Katarian could have been her father unless there's a really, really, really long gestation period. <laughs> that gives Neelix too much credit. Right. Yeah. Oh, dear. You're a married woman, you say? <laughs> yeah, I can live with that. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, then, wh- okay, so what? Uh, what's some of the next topics you've got coming on, Colin? Uh, well, we're doing a special. Uh, in two weeks time which is a basically we're going off topic we're going to talk about um, Battlestar Galactica the new series oh that's another thing the Lou Trek show does occasionally they do another space type show and discuss Mm. it because I recently watched it for the first time so the people who were badgering me to watch it are going to come on and uh, talk all about it so they've only got themselves to blame all right. Well, good enough. All right. So, why don't you tell everybody where you can be found again, please? Uh, you can find the the podcast on Trek FM, iTunes, and Stitcher, and it's Trek News and Views. And if you want to follow it on Twitter, it's Trek News Views, all one word. Great. All right then. Well, thank you for coming on, Dedamar. Thanks you... for having me on. Yes, absolutely, Dedamar. You back yet? I guess he'll be surprised. We'll all be gone. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to sign off now. Uh All right. I'm Brian Baker. Uh, This is Colin from England saying thanks for having me on. And this is Lou from Nebraska. And Dedimore is somewhere in cyberspace, so I'll sign us off. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Delta Quadrant. Please join us again next week. Star Trek Voyager and the Voyager theme song are the property of CBS Television Studios, and no infringement is intended. You're listening to the Trekmate Family Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.